Welcome to this podcast from Field Partner International. This is one of a series of interviews posted on our website and YouTube channel, where we will hear from experienced missionaries sharing stories and insights from their journeys. We are an online community and resource for Christian missionaries working across cultures. You can visit our website, fieldpartner.org, which features free video courses, blogs, podcasts, sermons, and more. Subscribe to this channel, our YouTube channel, or Facebook page to stay updated on our latest resources. Hello, everyone. This is Christine Patterson uh, from Field Partner. Thank you so much for listening in today. And I want to say it's a real treat to be inviting uh, Christina Windrick, who's an old friend, uh, to share today to talk with me. And um, I just want to introduce her now, Christina, who <laughs> is currently in Wisconsin. Yes. Uh, but is normally in Japan. We'll come mm. back to that in a minute. Yeah. And uh, we were just discussing how long ago it was that we actually met for the first time. And it was, we think, in 2007 mm-hmm. when she came on um, a training school we were running called Antioch School of Missions. And um, that was the start, or maybe the continuation, of a cross cultural adventure for her. And uh, yeah. that's what we want to talk about, all the challenges and the excitements and the enjoyments and the wonderful blessings of being on this journey. Mm. Okay, so Christina, start off first. Uh, tell us, um, were you born in Wisconsin or um, what, what uh, brought you there? And then how come you were on the um, ASM back in that day? Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> thanks for having me, by the way. Um, yeah, I was born and raised in Wisconsin, and I became a Christian when I was 23. Um, I was living in France at the time, studying viola, which I later put aside. But um, yeah, so I feel like I kind of became a Christian on the mission field, foreign mission field in a way. And at that time, I thought Jesus was so awesome, and I loved him so much. Um, I offered him a whole year of my life on the foreign mission field, which I thought was really generous. Um, <laughs> and that and then, was the program, wasn't it, back in the day? Yeah, yes. that was the ASM program. Um, but I didn't know about you guys yet at all. Oh, oh okay. Um, yeah, so I, I made this vow to the Lord. And then I kind of went on with my life. And it wasn't until maybe five or so years later that I kind of remembered this vow. And I thought, oh, I better get busy like figuring out how I'm going to do this. So I um, did a couple of short-term mission trips, one to El Salvador and two to China. Uh-huh. And my second trip to China was with ASM, uh, with the other, the company. I don't know if I can say that. Company <laughs> name, but, uh, okay, but anyway, it was with you guys. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was just a short, it was a summer program, I think two or three weeks. Um, right. We met first in Hong Kong and then we went in yeah back in those days <laughs> and yeah I just was super impressed with the all of the leadership um mm. just yeah I just felt like I was with people who really really love Jesus and really want to make him known and I was impressed with how they how you guys worked in country and um the training sessions before and the debrief after um yeah and then that's when I found out you had a one-year program so I thought oh no I can do my vow now oh no what have I gotten myself <laughs> yeah right um, so yeah so then you came 2007 and yeah. um it was uh, a year pro- well, 11 month program so the first mm-hmm. four months were um training and uh, yeah. your visa you did language study and then what that's what did you do for your practical yeah, so by then I was a um, 
trained and working um, special needs teacher in the States. I worked with middle school kids with like mild to moderate disabilities. Um, so from the beginning, while I was doing language study and then the, the missions training, um, one day a week, I think every other week, I would go into one of the local orphanages where a Christian, another mission had set up uh, like a school for kids with special needs in, within the orphanage. Um, so it was really kind of a unique and new program. So I just did some teacher training at that time. Um, not too much because I had like zero Chinese. Um, but it was really good just to, to get involved in that. And then after the four months training was over with the missions component, I did more. I went more regularly into the orphanage and also got to know a couple of families in the area where I was living who were fostering kids with special needs. Okay. And then I started doing some training for um, like tutors. So volunteer tutors who were helping the kids with their school and schoolwork. So. Right. And then, so then after that year, um, you decided to stay on with us and mm. you, so you did a, an, a did what? Did English teaching, as I remember. Yeah. Well, so the second year I was still in, I don't know if I can say places, so I better not, but I was still in that same city. And I did more of the training of tutors. Um, I started working with a lady from another organization who was working with at-risk teenagers. Um, okay. So that was oh, a couple nice. times a month. Yeah, <laughs> she was from Ireland. But anyway, um, and then I was still doing language study uh, full-time. So that was my visa was that. And then I moved and I ended up staying five years total. So my third year I moved three, <laughs> not two. Three. Um, I moved further west, north and west and did a year kind of helping with another private school for um, kids with disabilities. This time the children were in their families. They weren't orphans. And I was sort of in charge of teacher training kind of or partnering with the local woman who ran it to do teacher training and and then they didn't have a math teacher so it was sort of interesting i taught math to right. um, a 12 year old girl who was very bright but she had um cerebral palsy so just her muscles you know didn't she had a lack of muscle control but very very smart so i was teaching her math but i even in english i'm not good at teaching math full confession and in chinese i kept mixing up like six and nine for whatever reason and sometimes she the girl would just look at me and be like are you, are you qualified to teach me? You know, it was really funny. Oh, it was great. So that was my third year. And then my last two years, I did teach English at a local university. Okay. So um, in terms of uh, wanting to reach out to young people, what, how would you rate English teaching as a way of um, supporting yourself on the field and also yeah. having that chance? Yeah, it's amazing. If, you love teaching, I would highly recommend it. I have met people who don't like teaching, aren't good at it. No, that would be me. I, I okay. <laughs> but I've met some people like that who take an English teaching job, for example, and they say, oh, I'm just using this as a cover. I'm really here for whatever mission. And that always made my skin crawl. I think if you, you know, teaching is a wonderful job. It's a, it's a ministry in and of itself. And I think it really is glorifying to the Lord if you do it well. So like mm -hmm. anything, if you do it well. So, you know, I think, yeah, if you're a teacher, it's amazing. Just even without talking about Jesus formally in the classroom, there's so many ways you can show your students the character of God, 
um, help them to think about eternal issues. Um, you can love them well. Some of the students, you know, are coming out of all kinds of situations and it's just a huge, huge field of opportunities for, for ministry in, in direct and indirect, directly and indirectly <laughs> you can minister. Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant. So, and outside of school, I guess, as well, outside of class, you, you could get that chance. Yeah, well, that was really my last two years in China were the most Bible um, teaching that I was, that I did the whole five years. So that was also great. I had a lot of students coming to my uh, apartment for Bible study. And um, yeah, that I think by the end, I had even like four or five times a week, I had little groups, you know, small groups of students coming and it was just amazing to open scripture together and to hear their questions and their thoughts. Um, most of like 99% of them just had never touched mm. a Bible before, much less opened it. Um, so that was, yeah, it's an incredible vehicle. Mm. So you did five years, not just one. Um, yep. what, what, <laughs> how come you, do, you decided then to leave and where did you go after that? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I originally you know, thought it would be one year, but along the way, as I grew as a Christian, I realized that the Lord didn't just want one year of my life. He wanted all of it. And it didn't matter if I was living in my home country, the U.S., or living in another country. It's, we're all called to a missional lifestyle, and we're all called to be witnesses um, right. of Jesus or to Jesus. I never know the preposition, <laughs> but anyway, witnesses. Um, yeah, so during my first year in China, I really struggled with a lot of cultural stuff, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. But it was during that year I felt the Lord say, don't, don't go home yet. Like, please stay one more year is what I felt in my spirit. So I stayed mm. one more year. And then that was just one more year turned year by year into five in the end. Mm. Um, but in the end, I did feel released. I felt God releasing me from China specifically, but I felt that he was calling me more to long-term Mm -hmm. cross-cultural work, but I didn't know where. Um, so I had a couple of ideas. I was thinking of the Middle East or another Asian country, but I wasn't sure. I had met people from Japan already uh, working in China, Christians and non-Christians, but I didn't yet know that really the dire spiritual state of Japan. I, I just was completely ignorant about that. But so then... Um, Oh, getting back to what did I do next? Um, I actually went to Bible school after my five years. So while I was in China those five years, you know, I met many missionaries from many different countries, many different organizations. But a common theme is they would all say, oh, back when I was in Bible school or back when I was in seminary. And I was like, I think everyone went to Bible school before they became a missionary. I, was, I realized I missed something. So I thought, oh, maybe I should go to Bible school. And everyone I talked to about it said, yeah, like you should go tomorrow. Um, so I found a program, like a one-year kind of certificate or diploma program at Regent College in Vancouver in Canada. Um, so I went there, I got accepted, I went there. Um, and while I was there, I was really trying to discern the next place. And that's where I learned about Japan being 1% Christian, which right. is really shocking, was shocking to me. Yeah. Um, not, yeah. not that different from France in actual fact, but you found the longer. Yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> True. Anyway, so yeah, let's just talk about the cultural things. Cause you said, yeah. you know, culture shock is a major thing that people have to face. Yeah. So, and then, so it's culture shock when you go. And I think almost everybody expects a degree of that. 
But how about reverse culture shock as well when you go oh, home? Yeah. So can you just go in a, into a bit of detail on both sides? Yeah. Um, I guess, first of all, I, in my mind, I think I had an ideal image of myself as I'm not that kind of American. I thought, oh, I'm gonna love the Chinese. I'm gonna respect their culture. It'll be easy for me to do that because I'm not that kind of American. <laughs> but actually I am that kind of American. I realized when I got to China, as the months wore on, mm -hmm. there were so many areas of life from crossing the street, from the, the horribly polluted air to how people eat to what, whatever, whatever it was that I, in my mind, I would say, well, back home in America, we don't do it like that. You know, and I realized I had this very culturally, I don't know, I was very prideful um, in a very negative way, um, especially during that first year, I think. And because especially, the reason why it was especially um, prominent my first year was because when I came home that summer and I, it was like, I just saw my own country with different eyes. I really did. And there were so many things I thought, oh, we also do that in America. Oh gosh, this isn't what I thought. Like, I just saw more of the warts, I guess, or more of the spots in my own culture. Um, interesting. Very similar journey to almost everybody, I would say. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's one of the first things that you have to realize is how much of a product of our own, own culture we are, but yeah. completely unaware of it, usually. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like I'd heard that from other people, I'd read books about it. You know, I feel like I had a lot of head knowledge before I even went to China. Plus mm. I had that year in France, which was very different though. I think because French culture is closer mm. to American than Chinese is, but. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah. But even knowing all that head knowledge, re it was truly only living through it mm. that helped me to change and to grow. Um, but I'm thankful for the head knowledge because when it, when these things would come or I would, you know, have these negative experiences either way in China or when I re-entered, I could at least say, okay, I kind of know what this is because this is what I read about. And oh yeah, mm. I'm going through it now myself. <laughs> so. Mm. so was going to Canada like a, a, a different culture again or was it more like re-entry? Um, it was more like re-entry. I mean, Canadian and American mm. culture are very, think very similar. Yeah. Mm. Many Americans, I think, myself included, love Canada, and we don't mind being mistaken for Canadians. Uh, the oh. reverse is not true. <laughs> I have many lovely Canadians. Yeah, I've noticed friends, that. <laughs> yeah, who would not be pleased with me, which I totally understand. Um, but so I loved living in Canada. It was like, yeah, everyone is really nice and kind and, and it's beautiful. I mean, coming out of a very, very, very polluted city in China to Vancouver was like amazing. And there's a lot of Asian people there too. So in a way it felt, I felt kind of at home in a way mm -hmm. where my hometown is, um, well, where I'm living now is actually a suburb of my hometown, which is very white. So there's like, I don't think I've seen a single Asian here since I've been back this time. Whereas in Vancouver, you know, I'm just surrounded by a lot of different cultures, um, which mm. is really nice. Yeah, great. So while you were there, Japan became a very much um, clearer part of the picture. Yeah, I guess. What, how did you go, land up there? Yeah, to go back a little bit, the five years I was in China, um, Japan was really put on my heart. Again, I didn't know yet that it was like a candidate for missionary work. I if I put it that way. 
Um, but from my first year in China, I was struck by how much the Chinese really hate strongly the Japanese. Um, this was brought to my attention in very random ways. Um, just conversations, random conversations with taxi drivers, with friends of mine, with people, Chinese people I would just meet for the first time. They would tell me things about their That's feelings about Japan. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I was really shocked that, that they would say these things to a complete stranger. Like it, it just, yeah, it was very interesting. And then um, when the triple disaster happened in Japan in 2011, there was the earthquake tsunami and nuclear meltdown. Mm -hmm. um, the city I was living in, in China, they had a, a, a massive celebration where thousands of people went to the city square and basically had a party. Um, and one of my very close Chinese Christian friends in that city texted me that day because I didn't, I don't, I didn't read the news or anything. So she texted me and said, don't go downtown today. This is what's going on. And she said, I'm really ashamed at this moment of my, of my people. Um, so not, you know, not all Chinese felt that way, but so the, you know, but anyway, they had this party um, rejoicing in the suffering of, of the Japanese people at that moment. And that really also struck a chord. Um, and then, as I mentioned earlier, I met some really lovely Japanese people. There was a missionary family working in our city with a different organization. They were really lovely. And then there was a non-Christian couple teaching Japanese language at the school I was teaching at. And I, you know, we had dinner together a few times and they just knew nothing about Jesus, like zero. But I mm -hmm. still didn't register like, oh, they're 1% Christian. You know, I didn't know yet. But yeah, so I had all these kind of experiences about Japan. So I kind of felt, um, I don't know what I want to say. Like I, I understood the, the terrible history behind those emotion, strong emotions of the Chinese people. But on the other hand, you know, I felt kind of sorry for like these lovely 30 year old people I'm meeting who weren't even alive then and thinking, oh, is it fair that they're hated so strongly for something they themselves actually didn't do? Um, and, you know, it's, it's quite complicated. But so in these ways, I felt the Lord really put Japan on my heart. And then I went to uh, Bible college and learned it's 1%. Um, Christian. And I had prayed a prayer when I left China, which just to show you, you should be, always pray very specifically. I prayed, Lord, the next country you send me to, let them have an alphabet. I should have added, and no, no characters, <laughs> no kanji, no hansa, <laughs> because God's sense of humor, um, the Japanese language actually has two alphabets or, or syllabaries, but they also have characters. So I didn't pray specifically enough. But, Not specific enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so all these things together kind of pointed right. me in that direction. Okay. Um, and then I did do a vision trip. I was in Japan for five weeks, um, 2013. And yeah, I just felt a real sense of call at that time. So. Mm -hmm. um, so, but then you went with um, a, a big agency, a traditional yes. agency, very different yes. from very different. the little mm -hmm. startup that we had been in China. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so Overseas Missionary Fellowship, which is the former China Inland Mission. Yes. Um, what, uh, what's it like being in a... Oh, uh, wow. GIM that is such OMF. a question. Yeah. I mean, it's great. OMF is a wonderful, wonderful organization with lots of godly people, for sure. Um, 
But yeah, I find I often think back nostalgically like, oh, my little organization in China. <laughs> it's just really different. Um, yeah, I bet. It's, yeah, I think, but also the, the climate is so different in Japan. I felt like in China, partly because we were small, or our organization was small, but also the nature of the, the work, especially the, the second city I moved to, didn't have as many missionaries. So I felt like we really worked together, like people from different agencies. Mm-hmm. Um, we had our own church services, obviously, because because of the law and to protect local people. We didn't go to house churches or anything. Okay. Um, so we just met together every Sunday. These different, you know, Motley Crew missionaries from all over different agencies. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we put together our own. We had a little clipboard we would pass around like who wants to share the word who wants to lead communion who wants to lead worship right um it was it was amazing i loved it i just feel like it was such a beautiful experience of church um anyway so just very very different in to to ministry in japan but also omf um i guess on the plus side I'm able to go to local Japanese church, which is a blessing um, to worship with local people in their language. And um, that's been amazing. That's, you know, very different from China. Um, But because OMF is so big, I, you know, I don't do so much with people from other agencies Mm -hmm. um, just because we're so within this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it is very different. I think, um, the, our small group in China was very flexible and very, um, I don't know, yeah, more flexible, maybe quicker to respond to things. Uh, many people have said OMF is like a big ship that turns slowly, mm-hmm. which I think Not is surprisingly, true. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so what's it like in Japan as compared with China? The the, the um, culture and um, you're yeah. learning an instrument. Like, you're a traditional. Well, I was until I hurt my hand, but yeah, I was learning shamisen. Yeah. Oh, okay. okay um, so let me explain um, that uh, Christina is a musician as well. <laughs> She's a viola viola yes. violist. Is that what you yes. call them? <laughs> mm-hmm. And yes. um, a, a lovely worship leader. And, but then when she goes to Japan, one of her ways of reaching out is by learning a new, um, new instrument. And so I'm mm. sorry, to, I didn't realize you'd hurt your hand. Yeah. Glad to hear. Mm. Anyway, yeah. But, but do um, you enjoy that? I mean, yeah, no, it's been great. And things like that. You, you yeah. Can... Yeah. It's, it's really, I guess that's another cool thing about taking that leap of faith and, and obedience and going into this foreign culture, whatever country it may be, China, Japan, whatever. Mm like just seeing how God uses the things in your past, the things like the gifts or the desires that he already had put in you Mm. before you took the step of obedience. Um, So yeah, music for me was a big one. And, you know, I, I haven't played viola really in a long time, not, not well. um, And I didn't bring it with me to Japan. So I kind of wondered how, like, am I just done with music, which felt like a part of me then was kind of dying but I ended up joining a gospel choir. For those of you who don't know, um, African-American gospel music is huge in Japan, which is just <laughs> super ironic. I didn't know that. It's huge. And the, the theory is, I've heard this for many people, you know, Japanese culture is very restrained, very mm-hmm. um, kind so of- So the like exuberance would really- <laughs> Yeah, they're very, they don't really show you how they feel. They don't express emotion a lot. And th- I mean, that's considered polite not to. Uh-huh. So then the choir is like where they can let it all out, you know. 
So a lot of non-Christians go to these choirs. They're all over the country. Um, and many people become Christians through the ministry. So it's a very popular church ministry mm-hmm. for local churches to do that. Um, anyway, so I joined a gospel choir in, in Sapporo where I was living for my language study. And it was amazing. It was just such a blessing. I've never done that before. The, mm-hmm. the choir leader is, was super gifted Japanese woman who'd spent three months like ages ago studying with different big churches in the U.S., it was funny because I'm American and native English speaker. She would often turn to me in rehearsal and say, is this right? Is this how you would sing that or do that? And I'm like, I have no idea. This is not my style. Like you're the expert. Uh, but yeah, it was a, just a fantastic way to meet people and to um, have a kind of an instant group mm-hmm. of friends because I joined that, that group. Nice. Good. Um, yeah, that very different moved, experience by the sound of it from yeah, from was for you in China. Yeah. Very different, very different. Yeah, mm-hmm. they can they can just be super open about everything in Japan. But yeah, then when I oh. moved to a, a more rural area, I that's when I tried to learn the new instrument, and I met different people through a drumming circle that I joined or drumming club, and then learning this folk instrument and met other people. And, yeah. Okay. Great. And then, um, but so you were in Sapporo just to do language study and now you're moving back to, where is it? Hokkaido? No, I don't know the, the place. Yeah, I'll room. be moving back to Sapporo. So I've always oh, lived in Sapporo. Hokkaido. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And um, so, but then in between you've gone back to the States. So is that, was that COVID initiated or was it due to be home assignment anyway? Yeah, it was due to be home assignment, but I, I come home every year anyway, just to visit my parents. So, oh, okay. um, but yeah, usually I come home for three weeks. So this year was a six-month home assignment. It was already planned. So, okay. yeah. And what does that look like during COVID? Are you able to get out and um, go to meetings? I guess not. Yeah, it's definitely different than what I had planned. I had a lot of great trips planned, which mostly all have been canceled. Um, Shame, including yeah, there's not, England. I'm sorry including about Including the UK, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shame. Um, no, there's like different Zoom things I'm able to do. Um, and I am meeting with a lot of people one-on-one out in parks. The weather's been really great. So we can sit outside and be distant. Uh-huh. And nice. um, yeah, I think in the fall, actually, it will be probably even more Zoom meetings. <laughs> so, yeah. Good. Well, you've been very kind and said that you would join our, my um, coaching group that I'm starting. Um, can you just tell me what, what you think you might hope to get out of that or give to it uh, or uh, what kind of expectation you have from it? Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I, I guess I'm just excited to do anything with you guys because uh-huh. I just think you're wonderful. But uh, <laughs> no, I think... Um, didn't have to say that. <laughs> I know. She, she didn't pay me extra to say that. Um, yeah, I think it's just helpful to process a lot of things that I've gone through and continue to go through as being, I don't know, is this a word, a third culture adult? Um, we talk a lot about third culture kids, but I definitely feel like, you know, mm-hmm. I've spent now nine years of my life in Asia. Um, so when I come back to the States, I just, I don't feel like I'm the typical American anymore, right. whatever that means. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, so it's really... I often feel just an instant and kind of deep connection with other people, even from other nations mm. who have also lived in very different cultures as adults. Right. Um, 
so I guess I'm looking forward to that with the coaching to be with other people like me who have, you know, mm. have picked up their roots and gone, dove into right. the deep end. Because there are unique challenges that you wouldn't encounter any other way, really, aren't there? And yeah. I think you automatically, as you just said it, get what other people, where other people are coming from because of the similar experiences. Yeah. Mm. And that's another thing, I guess, just to talk for a second about OMF again, but also similar to when I was with your organization in China, it's interdenominational and international, which mm. I love that about both of the organizations. But so, you know, I'll meet people or I'm working with people from Germany, from Singapore, from the UK, from Australia, mm. South Excellent. Africa. Right. And again, I meet these people from very different cultures, sometimes different first language. And yet I'll often feel a deeper connection with them than I do with some Americans that I meet, even though we share the same home culture, the same passport country, the same native language, you know, it's again that because of that experience that has shaped us. Um, yeah. So just as a spoiler alert, that's really what we're trying to do with this coaching group is to give people the chance to have a safe space where anything can be talked about as long as it's coming out of the kind of cross-cultural thing. Well, it doesn't have to. It can be anything, but, you know, it'd be mostly that the common ground would be where you've had, to, had challenges um, and need support or need to be able to process, mm -hmm. need um, others who you know will get you uh, yeah. to be able to do that. So anybody else wants to join, they can, they're welcome to uh, go to the website and sign up for it. Um, as long as you have some sort of background, like what Christina has been mentioning. So anyway, thank you so much, Christina, for joining me. Thank for you. Time. And, um, yeah, let's hope it won't be too long. I think last time we met was um, three years ago, four years ago in Singapore. Four years ago in Singapore, yeah. Oh, that is me. So yeah. great to see you. And it's you really too. nice to catch up. Okay, lots of love and bye-bye. Thank you very much for joining us. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Field Partner. You can watch or listen to more interviews by subscribing to this channel our YouTube channel, or our Facebook page. For free cross-cultural mission courses, blogs, sermons, and other resources, visit our website, fieldpartner.org, 